trigger warning. This podcast is about grief. Whether you are newly bereaved or whether you have been stuck in grief for years, I do hope this podcast brings you some comfort. Grief is such a universal experience, but we all do it differently. This podcast is not about fixing you or forcing the healing process because there is no cure for grief. It can only be absorbed, experienced, loved and cared for. So whether you are doing it privately behind closed doors or like me, you are kicking and screaming your way through, let's support each other. This is a safe space where we can come together and share experiences. My hope is that this podcast shines a light on your path and gives you the strength to navigate your way through the grieving process. My name is Louise Bates and I'm so pleased we connected. I'm looking forward to interviewing people who have also walked this path to find out what worked for them in the hope that it helps you too. I'm sending you so much love and support and I look forward to sharing this crazy journey with you. Hello and welcome to this episode of A Gift for Grief and today I am delighted to have Becky Willits with me. Becky is a GP and she has a beautiful blog called Bereavement and Beyond. She set up this blog to not only remember her dad who sadly died last July but also to share practical advice about death, dying and funerals. Becky's experience of grief helps her to support people because she can speak about death, dying and bereavement, not only from a professional angle, but also a personal one. So welcome, Becky, and thank you for being my guest today. Thank you for having me. You're very welcome. So perhaps we could start with a little bit about you and why you decided to start writing your blog. Okay, so um, I've been a GP for 12 years, doctor for 17 years, and um, my dad died last July. It was unexpected. Um, You know, we we didn't have any time to come to terms with with the fact that he was dying. We were sort of told that he was gravely ill on on the Monday and he died on the Thursday. It was really hard to just get our heads around it in that short space of time. Um, In some ways, I'm glad that we had a little bit of time to get our heads around it, but it still didn't feel like it was enough. Mm. And when someone dies, all of a sudden you're you know, you're at your worst and you're thrown into this sea of admin that has to be done and this, all these things that people are telling you this needs to be done and it needs to be done by this day and that day. And actually, all you feel like doing is just sitting in a room and shutting the door and shutting everyone out. Um, And I realised it was a bit of a minefield and I thought that if someone died, I would, knew, I would know what to do because I thought yeah. that as a doctor... I would just know what to do and know where to go and where to find all the information that I needed. And I suddenly realised that actually I really didn't. So I wanted to set something up to help other people, basically, through those difficult, dark times early on. Yeah, I don't think anything can prepare you for the death of a loved one. It doesn't matter how much time you have, does it? And then, like you say, there's all the legal processes that need to take place afterwards. And you're just not in the right headspace to do that. Absolutely not. Yeah, it's it's I've read your blogs and you write so beautifully. Oh, thank you. Honestly, I felt like I got to know your dad through your words. (laughs) And he sounds like he was amazing. 
So he had heart surgery in January and he went back to work at the age of 75. I mean, that's incredible. He did. I mean, he was incredibly stoical. Um, He was diagnosed with heart failure, I think, in 2006, 2006, 2006-7. You know, and at at that time, it was really, it was quite scary because as a a first-year junior doctor, I opened all the textbooks um, and the textbook said that heart failure has a worse prognosis than the worst cancers was the exact phrase I think that it said, um, less than a 50% five-year survival. Um, so, you know, I was expecting to be bereaved very quickly. Yeah. But the treatments had come on so much that actually my dad, you know, my dad carried on work. His, his consultant told him to stop working but he didn't. He said, "I'm not. I'm not stopping working. I can't afford to pack in work, and I'm not. I'm not going to anyway because yeah. I actually like my job." So he carried on working and lived a really full and active life yeah. until all of a sudden, um, one of his valves started to play up, and he needed this surgery. Yeah, yeah. So, do you find writing very cathartic? I do. Um, I. People who know me will tell you that I don't shut up, that I talk all the time, <laughs> nonstop. And about most things, I can talk quite easily. Uh, you know, I'm probably what people term an oversharer. But I think in terms of the grief and the loss of my dad, I found it really hard to share um, because I'm an only child. So I'd got my mum on one side with her grief, yeah. my husband and my dad were so close they were like best friends um as well as father and son-in-law my my husband had lost his dad a year previous so the immense grief that he was going through I sort of felt a little bit caught in the middle of it all and was sort of like well I don't I don't want to talk about my grief to them because they're grieving so it was I just found it really awkward um but the best way I found was to get it written down yes um you know and and organize it into some sort of form and make something of it yes yeah and I can resonate with that because I found journaling really helpful yeah because it gets it out of your head doesn't it onto paper and it helps you to process it so as a GP, you're dealing with patients who have maybe had a terminal diagnosis yeah. or people who are grieving. Do you feel your experience of grief has helped you to become a better doctor? 100% yes. Um, in the last few months, it's really strange, actually, the, the way that things happen. It's very rare that I've seen that many people in my practice um, who've lost a partner Um because these people just haven't come my way. I think often they'll go to the older doctors, maybe, in, okay. in the practice, the more experienced doctors. But since um, since Dad died, I've noticed that I've had quite a number of people who've either lost a parent or lost a spouse um, come my way. Now, I don't know whether they've been directed my way, because this does happen in general practice. You kind of get the type of patients that sometimes reception think you're, in inverted commas, good at. Yeah. Um, and sometimes it just happens, you know, it just happens. It's just just sort of one of those things. Yeah. Um, but I know I've, you know, seen quite a few people who have lost a spouse in the last few months and... 
you know, I felt that I could really help them because I've drawn on my mom's experiences yeah. of, of loss of a part, you know, a life partner of, of 50 plus years and been able to really help people and to normalise things for them. Because I think that's that's probably the biggest question you get asked as a doctor. Is this normal? Should I feel like this? Oh, yeah. I don't know how I should feel. Is it, is this is this weird? Is it wrong? And And I think people just... I don't know. People are just worried about what other people think of them. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. So as a GP, what can you offer people who are really struggling in their grief? So one of the mo I think one of the most important things that we offer people is time. Time to just talk and not be judged. Um, you know, and 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 also that ability to say to them this is normal this is this is okay this is you know the the emotions that you've got are not abnormal that the process you're going through is a process you know it has to you know it it's something you have to go through you can't rush it you just have to get on with it yeah. um you know and obviously we have other agencies we can signpost people to which is great we've got you know we've got bereavement support groups we've got people like cruise bereavement we've got you know in-house um, bereavement counsellors that we've got access to um, but actually particularly you know first you know as a first point of contact people don't want that at that point they just want someone to tell them that actually it's okay and yeah. you can grieve and, and to, to almost give permission um, and the other thing that commonly people want is, you know, um, time off work. Um, of course, yes. You know, and, and a sick note for a, a period of time. And again, you know, it's that in itself for some people is just a relief to be able to have someone say, actually, if you don't feel like you can go to work, that's OK. Yeah. That's fine. But equally, if you don't want a sick note and you want to carry on working, that's OK too. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's just, you know, telling people that it's different for everyone and, you know, you've got to do the right thing for you at that moment. Yeah, yeah. It's funny because when my son Matthew died, I never thought about going to the doctors because I just thought, oh, they'll just give me some medication. <laughs> yeah, I just see doctors as giving out prescriptions. Yeah. But do GPs receive any training in the field of grief and loss or do you just all have to wing it? We we do. I mean, mainly during our, our mod. I mean, for me, it was during our module um, on cancer and palliative care. So it was very much centred around end of life care and and dealing with people who have had an ex, you know an expected death in the family that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, but in terms of actual, um, you know actual practical information to give people i don't think i can recall having any real training on yeah, any of it it's yeah. just stuff that you pick up pick up as you go along and you know um you get things like breaking bad news training and then so you kind of have to draw on that to do yeah. the you know the bereavement side of things but i think there's there's you know not very much in terms of formal formal training yeah it must be really difficult so for some people they are offered medication to help them with their grief how does the medication help them um it's a good question i think i think often medication is is 
there are different types of medication. It, it sort of depends on what, what people are given. Sometimes what people need um, is just some medication short term to just get them over that initial, um, you know, severe shock and upset and just to sort of settle them down enough to be able to sort of still function at some sort of level to do the yeah. things that they need to do. Um but I have to say, in my experience, giving medication directly after a bereavement is quite rare. Oh, okay. Um, because I think my sort of feeling about it personally is that, you know, it's important to grieve and it's yeah. important to feel the feelings and it's important to um, go through that process Um you know, and I usually will have that discussion with people. And actually, if I talk to people, quite often they don't, once we've had a chat about it, they don't want medication. Yeah. Because actually they don't want to feel numb. They want to feel something. They want to feel the grief and, and experience it and go through it. Yeah. Um, you know, and I think sometimes medication comes a little bit further down the line if people are developing depression or anxiety after a bereavement yeah, yeah. but usually that's you know in the weeks and months to come yeah it is important that people feel their emotions isn't it i mean feeling yeah. is healing and um, medication maybe could prevent this from happening if they're feeling disconnected yeah. from their feelings so medication isn't the cure for grief but it can play a part when used correctly. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I'm not against medication, and I agree when it's used as a stepping stone, it can be a good thing. Um, but over the years, I've had clients that have been on medication for years, and what they really need is support, maybe counselling or some kind of talk therapy. But this waiting list for counselling is just ridiculous now, isn't it? Absolutely. Um I think it's, you know, we know that the best treatment for a lot of mental health conditions, you know, and, and you know, bereavement is talking therapy. Yeah. But it's so hard to get, you know, it's so hard to get. There's a, there are national shortages of, of the right people to give, the, to do the therapies. Um, so even, you know, places are trying to get these people in um, to, to work there, but they just can't get hold of them. They're right. just dying enough to go around, like, you know, like same with doctors, nurses, yes. you know, all the professions really. Um, so, you know, a lot of a lot of what's being offered can be like online support and that's right for some people yeah. and that works for some people, but, you know, it's, it's horses for courses. Some yeah. people need that one-to-one. Absolutely. So you say that the writing helped you, but what other things helped you navigate your grief journey, Becky? For me, um, it was really important that we talked about my dad and we mentioned his name. And, um, you know, I was very, um, very kind of, um, I'm trying to think of the right word just very definite from the from the off that I wanted to talk about my dad. I didn't want people to feel that if they came into a room, they couldn't, they, they'd got to stop talking. They couldn't mention his name. Um, you know, we couldn't, we couldn't laugh about things um, because one of the, the greatest gifts that we had as a family was humour. Um, yeah. We, you know, me and my husband and my mum and dad would go out together lots and go on holidays together and we laughed from the da- from the minute we got in the car till the mi- you know to the minute we got home we laughed. Yeah. So for us, um, it was 
you know, being able to still laugh about things and not feeling that because we were grieving, we've got to sit in a corner, dress in black yeah. and be miserable. Um, because, yes, we were sad. We were desperately sad. But, you know, we didn't want to forget all those wonderful memories that we got and those wonderful things that we'd all done together. Absolutely. I think it's really important. That's a good note that you've made there because people feel guilty if they laugh. I remember the first time I laughed after Matthew died and I was in a in my lounge and my sis, I've got five sisters and we had a girls night, we had a pizza night, film night and we were laughing about something and I thought, God I'm laughing, I shouldn't be laughing my son died just recently so, but that's normal to feel but, that as but well. But we did feel it? that you yeah. know, it, like dad died on the, the Thursday evening and and Obviously, mum spent a lot of time at, at my house um, over the, the coming weeks and still does, you know, because yeah. um, we're very close. And we live a few doors away from each other. Um, so the, the three of us, um, you know, were watching stuff on the telly and we were laughing and and we, you know, we had a bottle of wine, as you do, <laughs> and, and laughed about things and memories. And, and we talked loads and loads about memories and things that we'd done in places we'd been. And then the next day we all got up and sort of said, oh, was, was that right? Should, you know, now I feel a bit guilty that we laughed and we reminisced and and we all sort of talked about it. And we were like, well, no, because that, that was how we felt yeah. at the time. And we wanted to share those memories. And that was an important thing. And, you know, actually, my dad wouldn't have wanted us to be sit, no. sitting miserable with the TV off and... <laughs> You know, not talking. No. That's absolutely the, the last thing he would have wanted because he was a very kind of, you know, keep calm and carry on sort of character. Yeah. Um, so the last thing he would have wanted was for us to be sitting maudlin and miserable. Absolutely. Really. And I think that's really important that our listeners can hear this and think, oh, that's OK. It's OK to laugh. It's, give yourself permission to you know, laugh and have jokes and it's all part of the healing process, yeah, isn't it? Absolutely. And if you feel guilty, guilt doesn't fix anything, does it? Just no. let it go. Just it's... let it go. So did you find people were unsure how to be around you when Dad yeah, died? Yeah, ab absolutely. Um, yeah, but people don't know what to say. No. Um, and they usually say something and go, oh, well... Oh, I suppose that doesn't really help, does it? Or, <laughs> you know, they go, oh, I'm really sorry. How are, you, how, are you, how are you doing? Oh, that's a really stupid question. I'm like, actually, it's not a stupid question because, you know, it's nice that you've asked me. It's nice yeah. that you've thought about me. Yes, you already know the answer, but you've engaged with me and that's what's really important. I think, yeah. you know, the worst thing is that sometimes people cross the street and don't come and talk to you because they don't know what to say. I'd much rather somebody got it you know, a bit wrong or didn't know what to say and just stood and looked at me than cross the street and ignore yeah. me. Yeah, that's the worst thing, isn't it, when yeah. people don't acknowledge it? Yeah, totally. So how would you describe grief to someone who's never had a significant loss? Oh, wow, that is a question. <laughs> oh, I think it's just... It just... It just comes into everything that you do from the moment that person dies yeah um you know it's it's just in you and around you and it just it changes everything yeah life's never quite the same again 
But that doesn't mean that life doesn't go on and it doesn't mean that, you know, you can't go on. It it just means that life's always going to be different. And yeah. I think it it changes the way that you look at a lot of things. Um, yeah. You know, I mean, one of the hardest things for me with the grief around my dad was music. Um, because, again, music's a, a real passion of mine and was a real passion of, of my family. Um, when I was growing up, the radio was on all the time, you know, it was just always in the background. And so for me, one of the things I've always gone to when I've been sad about something or upset is music. But it was so hard to do that because literally every song that came on the radio had a memory attached to it. Yeah. Um, So for me, for a while, it really did sort of spoil music a little bit for me. Um, You know, and it, and it made that really difficult. Yeah. Um, but that's got better with yeah. time. Good. But I think it is the fact that the grief's always there. It's always there in the background and it and it kind of creeps up on you yes. when you least expect it. Um, you know, a few days after Dad had died, I was I went to collect a prescription from my mum and I was sat at the um at the traffic lights um and a song came on the radio and I just that's burst it. into tears. Yeah. Um, floods of tears at the traffic lights of all places you know and you can't control it you can try but but you really can't yeah sometimes it just hits you Mm. it doesn't matter where you are and it can be a song it can be a smell it can be seeing someone that looks like your loved one yeah it can be anything and they're the worst ones I think because you don't see them coming do you absolutely yesterday a man walked into church and he'd got he was very smartly dressed with a shirt and tie, just like my dad always was. Yeah. And it sort of caught me unawares. Yeah. Um, really, really strange, but yeah. it did. Oh. Well, do you feel that um, grief has changed you in any way? I think it has. I think it's made me more thankful um, for things. I think it's made me more thankful for life. Um, and it's made me... <sighs> Just reflect more about things, I think. Um, you know, and I think people often say when when some, when a loved one's died that it, it's made them sort of take stock a little bit and think about what they're doing with their life. And, yeah. you know, I'm not going to say I'm, I've had some huge epiphany <laughs> or anything that dramatic, but I, I think it has made me think that, you know, life is too short to to get hung up on little stupid things. Yeah. Um, you know, we need to just enjoy things, um, you know, do the things that you want to say, you know, go the places that you want to do, uh, you know, and not sort of keep putting things off, really. Yeah, because none of us know what's around the corner, do we? No, absolutely not. So what words would you choose to use to express your condolences to someone? Oh... I suppose it it depends, I guess, on how well I know the person. Yeah. But you know, usually I'm I'm my usual go to is I'm really sorry for your loss. Yeah. Um because I think that is quite inoffensive. It can't usually be taken more than one way and people seem to be okay with it. Yeah. Um it's sort of the universal yeah. thing, isn't it? Yeah. It's funny because I, I always use that as well. Well, always generally use yeah, it yeah um but i did have one lady say to me oh i hate that my daughter's not lost she's dead 
So you think you're saying the right thing sometimes, yeah. but then it, sometimes it doesn't land right. But I always say, just look for the good intention behind yeah. the words. And I think that's <laughs> I think that's the point, isn't yeah. it? It, it, yeah. is, it isn't about the words; it's about the intent and, Absolutely. and the fact that someone's just you know remembered to ask you, yeah, um, yeah. and has, has sort of tried to care. Absolutely. Um, but I know what you mean about the word loss. Um, in 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 the context of I'm sorry for you loss, that doesn't bother me too much, but it's um I hate I hate euphemisms for death in general. Um yeah. as a as a doctor, I'm quite um <laughs> I'm quite sort of I think I think we're quite black and white a lot of the time about these things. So for me, um one of the things that I sort of did from the from the very offset that dad died was um was used the word death yes now it drove my mom potty because she didn't like the word because it was very final and it was very kind of you know black and white yeah um and i guess we're different generations um but for me it was really important that you know people do die it's it's normal yeah to say but it is it's it is a part of life it is a normal thing that happens. The circumstances aren't always normal. The circumstances are often not pleasant, but it does happen to all of us at some yeah. point. So yeah. I think for me, it was really important to use that word um, and to encourage other people to use it and to sort of have that acceptance that as much as none of us wants to accept it, death happens. Yeah, yeah. I don't like the term passed away. No. And I'm sure I've I used really it over like the years, one. but... <laughs> Since I, you know, Matthew died, I I'm really aware of the language that around death yeah. and dying and bereavement now. Um, and I remember when my dad died, my mum saying because she wanted to put a piece in the newspaper, and she made a point saying that Bob, you know, um, Bob Rogerson died because the lady wanted to put passed away. She went, no, he died. I remember thinking, oh, that was a bit harsh, mum. But I totally <laughs> get that now. Totally get that. That the the newspaper announcement was the one place I didn't get my way. We did say some. We did use a euphemism of some sort. I can't remember exactly what it yeah. was, but I was like, "Can we not just put died?" And my mom said, "No, not not." Be, she said, "No, not because of us, but because other people might not like it." Isn't it funny how um, people are over the words? Yeah, and it's yeah, it's strange, isn't it? But yeah. But, yeah, language is really important. Yeah, it is. I think for some people saying passed away, perhaps it softens it a bit. But yeah. for me, I like to use the word death, died. Yeah. So I'm I'm on the same page with you there. Well, <laughs> there's no confusion then, is that? No. I think especially like when you're talking to kids. Oh, um, gosh, yeah. You know, and people, you know, people who, who might sort of, you know, have, you know, autism or sort of learning disability. Yes. I think. You know, language can be very important and, and people need to know exactly what you mean. Yeah. And yeah. euphemisms just really confuse people. Absolutely. Yeah. So can you recommend any books or films or podcasts or groups to support people who are grieving? Um, good question. <laughs> I mean, I often, I mean, I often signpost um, my patients to our local hospice um, because our oh. local hospice, Mary Stevens, um, runs a lot of bereavement services and is the main kind of hub for bereavement services in Dudley where I work. Yes, um, Cruise Bereavement is another one um, that's 
obviously we, we often um, suggest to people the problem with cruises, they are very busy and very yeah. oversubscribed often. Um, and we've got, um, and it can be hard really to, to keep up with resources um, because things change groups move they 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 meet on a tuesday but then they suddenly start meeting on a wednesday and and in a different place so actually um like i often refer our patients to our social prescribers um who've got attached to the practice um and their job really is to help people navigate all of the support out there that's not medical um so they will know where groups meet they will know um you know where there might be an appropriate group for that person they can do an individual assessment to to know where that person might fit in really well they can even accompany them um sometimes to the to the group the first time and make sure that they're okay and that they get there okay and and sort of fit in there okay um and that sort of thing and and those are the the sort of main places that i usually do and a, a really good one that i heard of recently which i actually hadn't heard of um but it was it was suggested to one of my patients by a psychiatrist um in, and it was in the letter was um blue cross run pet bereavement oh um and one of my patients had, had had a pet that had died and the, the psychiatrist had set, set that up and i um had suggested that and i'd never heard of that before no i'd not heard of that um you know so i've kind of kept that one um in in my memory bank yeah um, because sometimes we do see people who are struggling with with pet bereavement as absolutely. well absolutely it's something we've not really talked about much on the podcast i'd like to do an episode on that because it is massive because mm. pets are part of our family too aren't they they are they are So, yeah, I'll put all these um, links and information into the show notes so the listeners can check them there. So for people who have lost a loved one or perhaps for others who have just been stuck in grief for years, what words of wisdom can you share to maybe help them loosen their grief in some way? I think you've got to find what works for you, Um, you know, and, and I think, you know, for some people it is you know going and locking themselves away from the world and and working through things you know in their own way and for some people that's the right thing i think yeah. for a lot of people that's the temptation and it's not the right thing yeah. um you know and i think some people who do that sometimes realize that it was not good for them um and that actually getting out seeing people sharing and and talking is a good thing um you know i think Things like, you know, remembering the good times with that person and and sort of, you know, reminiscing about those good times, I think can really help you through that grief because just because that person's gone, they don't cease to exist. Exactly. Yeah. You know, and you're always going to have those memories. You've always got those good times. Um, You know, and if I'm feeling a bit vulnerable and and a bit sad for me, I will you know take myself off on my own put some music on you know music that reminds me of my dad and you know and just sit and listen or look at photos and that kind of thing you know and and that for me that really helps now some people will say oh that's horrible that will just make me sad (laughs) that will make my grief worse so I think it's just so individual and it's 
as time goes on, you you work out and you realise what works for you and yeah. what and what's counterproductive. I think is the other thing to learn what what really doesn't work for you and what you know makes you kind of maudlin and and you know and, and really sad and you know what can drive you into that spiral of of depression. Yeah, yeah. So where are you in your grief journey now? Um, it's interesting because I think. We're in the sort of second year of grief, I suppose. I'm, you know, everyone talks about the first year being the hardest, and I didn't necessarily find that the first year was necessarily harder than this year, because I think in the first year, people it's quite fresh in people's minds. So when yeah. you catch up with people, or when you see people, they they'll say oh you know how are you oh really sorry to hear about your dad da, da, da. you know and they'll acknowledge things yeah I think after that first year this things kind of shift a little bit and people haven't forgotten but they kind of don't mention it anymore yeah. so much um so it's that awkward thing of do, people don't know whether they should mention it or you know is the person over it now and they don't, if I mention it, it's going to break it all up and upset them. Like people really don't yeah. know what to do. Um, you know, and, and I think people said to me, the the anniversaries will be really hard. And I really didn't find that. Yeah. And part of me felt really bad that I didn't find that initially. But then I sat down and I thought about it. I mean, I booked, for example, I booked the day the day my dad died off off work because I thought I don't know realistically how I'm going to be. Yeah. And actually, if I'm not in a good place, I can't help patients. And the last thing I want to do is wake up on that morning and be paralysed with grief and feel like I can't go in and have to ring in sick. Yeah. So I planned for it. And I woke up on that day and I thought, I don't feel any different. Why don't I feel any different? Yeah. And I didn't do anything really that day. I just sat at home and I reflected. And I thought, well, it's just a date, isn't it, in the diary? Absolutely. It's no yeah. different. I just thought, I don't miss my, miss my dad any more or any less today than I did yesterday. No. It's a date. Yeah. So I think for me, you know, in terms of where I am in my grief... I think I'm at the stage where I'm sort of accepted things. Things are what they are. I can't change them. Um, and I'm at the stage now where I want to sort of start to try and move forward. Yeah. Um, not move on, because I think that's, again, it's language, isn't it? But yeah. I think move on suggests that you've left that person behind. Yeah. Um, you know, but move forward and look at what the next chapter of our life is going to be. Yes. Yeah. Oh, I think that you've explained that beautifully. <laughs> Do you believe that grief has given you any gifts? So I think the biggest gift it's probably given me is an understanding of what grief is. Yes. Yeah. Because we've all read the books um, about the, the cycle of grief and about the different stages you go through and that. Yeah, you do go through those stages, but it's it's not a linear process. There's a lot of back and forth. Yeah. You know, and it's not one size fits all. Um, and obviously, I knew that before. And I've said that to people. I've said that to lots of patients. You know, you've got to go through it at your own pace. It is what it is. You you know, your grief, your grief, blah, blah, blah. But I almost felt like I was sort of telling people from a textbook. Yes. Yeah. And I think lived experience gives you a 
a totally different perspective and it feels more authentic now when I'm saying it. Yeah. It's awful that I had to go through a horrible situation to get to that. But yeah. I think, you know, you have to you have to use any situation that comes at you in life and try and turn it round and make something good out of it. Yeah, yeah. And I think you could probably connect to your patients as well on a deeper level, having yeah. gone through that experience as well. So do you have any special ways to remember your dad or any family rituals? Well, um, I mean, Christmas has always been massive in our house. Yeah. Um, and last year we were a bit, you know, a bit torn about Christmas because my dad loved Christmas. Um, he, you know, he made it amazing for me yeah. every year. You know, um, and I've got some fantastic memories. So when it came to sort of, you know, the, the autumn last year, I was a little bit like, OK, Christmas is coming and what's going to be expected of us? Yeah. You know, because there is that expectation of people of, of how you're going to be and what you're going to do. And, you know, I said to my mom, I'm really quite keen that we don't do anything different this year that we've done than we've done every year. Yeah. Because, you know, it's a good, you know, we've got some really good memories and my dad would hate it if we got, you know, sacked off Christmas. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he really would. Yeah. I know he'd be like really mad with us. Um, you know, even the even the January that he, before we went in for his surgery, um, my mum threatened him, don't put the Christmas lights up when I'm not here. You know, and in fact, don't put them up at all because, you know, I don't want you on a ladder. I don't yeah. want you doing this, that and the other. Um, and he still put them up when she was at work <laughs> as a surprise. Yeah. So, you know, for us, Christmas is really important. And we've we've tried to do the things that we've always done. Um, and Dad sort of instigated this thing where we all bought each other a silly present. Yeah. Um, something ridiculous. We wrapped it up. We were allowed to see it on Christmas Eve, feel it, squeeze it, look yeah. at it, try and work out what it was. And, and you know, and obviously, you know, we choose whose was the best. Um, and we've we've still carried on doing that. Oh. And friends who spend Christmas with us have been sort of co-opted into that as yeah. well. Yeah. Um, and that's, you know, that's a nice memory yeah christmas is a big one for most people isn't it it is it's the big milestone and um i think it's lovely that you're carrying on the traditions and um and we we do christmas different now we just go on holiday over christmas so we celebrate christmas in a nice hot sunny country <laughs> <laughs> with our christmas hats and a drink on the beach and we just do it differently um and everybody's got to do what's right for them absolutely yeah. And, yeah. and i would say to people if you don't feel like doing christmas don't do it yeah you know if that's your way of dealing with it is yeah. we're going to put it in a box and we're not going to do it or we're going to do it completely differently yeah that's fine again it's it's what works for you and your family and absolutely. your loved ones and you know, again, we we were torn about, do we send Christmas cards? Are people going to feel weird if we send them a Christmas card? But we, we decided we were going to do that because, again, we wanted, there were people in other parts of the country who didn't know and we wanted yeah. to get the message to them. Yeah. But I, I think that some people probably didn't send us Christmas cards because they were worried that it was 
we were going to be offended. Yeah. Again, it's just it's just so hard um, because I think a lot of people think there's a protocol for these sorts know, of things, and, and there really isn't. isn't. I mean, everybody is like winging it, aren't they? And yeah. one of the reasons I wanted to do this podcast was to help people to become more grief literate. Yeah. Get used to talking about grief and and not to have so much sort of awkwardness around yeah. the subject. So. What would you like people to learn from your experience? I think I would like people to talk about death. Um, that's the biggest thing for me is yeah. actually using the word, mentioning the word and talking about what you would want, you know, at such times as you die. Because yeah. for me, um, one of the hardest things was that we didn't really know what my dad wanted. Um, yeah. We didn't really know anything because he just wouldn't talk about it. Um, you know, he, he he was very typical black country bloke. You don't talk about your feelings. <laughs> you don't talk about grief. You don't talk about death. Yeah. You know, um, whereas me and my mum are very much different to that. She's um, a receptionist in the practice where I work. So, you know, we've been around death a lot. Yes. Um, we've seen people who've had good experiences we've been seeing people who've had bad experiences we've been you know we've seen all sorts of things um in our time in in the nhs so i think we realize how important it is to have your house in order and to sort of know what you want um so you know we've always talked about it very openly me me and my mom have always had very honest dialogue about it or you know she knows what i'd want i know what she'd want um whether she'll get a horse and carriage with yellow plumes and <laughs> Copacabana on the way out, I don't know. But that's what she wants anyway. Yeah. You know, but my dad would never engage. He'd be like, oh, don't be so morbid. Yeah. yeah we don't need to think about that yet. <laughs> well, we were exactly the same. And um, through this podcast, we've had a couple of guests that do end of life planning. And from this, we're now actually making our death book. So that, you know, all our passwords will be yeah. in there. I mean, it's a slow process. We haven't finished it yet. All, you know, all the information that our daughter or whoever's going to sort out our yeah. affairs afterwards or whether Bill goes first or whether I go first, <laughs> you know, it's going to make it easier for us. Yeah. Because when you lose somebody so close to you, the last thing you need to do is not be able to find information, not know what they want and... You know, it just makes it easier, doesn't it, for the people left behind? And I think now it would be even harder for people because I think, you know, my dad's generation had got everything on paper. It was, you know, I mean, my yeah. dad was very organised. It was all in, you know, we knew where everything was, actually. His filing system wasn't the best. It wasn't in the right order, but but we yeah. knew where it was um, and we could find it. But I think with digital, with the digital age, I think it's going to be really hard because... You know, everyone's got passwords for everything and yeah. a lot of stuff is stored online. People don't have paper records for stuff. It's just, you know, in their email somewhere. Yeah. And, and I think it will make things very difficult if people don't plan for it and, and have things like a, a book with stuff in. And, yeah, I've got I've got a death book, which I'm yeah. against. You know, I haven't started filling it in yet, but it's there and I you know, I've got plans to do it. Yeah. Um, again, my husband looks at me a bit like I'm a bit batty um, because, again, he's quite stoical, quite yeah, yeah, blokey. <laughs> but we, we need to have that. We need to have these conversations, don't <laughs> yeah, we? Absolutely. We need to get it out there. Absolutely. So, yes, yeah. So 
what are your thoughts about the afterlife, Becky? <laughs> <laughs> that's that's probably an e- that's quite an easy question for me. Um, I'm a Christian, um, so for me, I believe that that we're going to heaven and there's something for us afterwards. Yeah. And I think that's one of the things that actually has really helped me, um, you know, and, and you know, really sort of, you know, it's really helped me through my grief and through the difficult times yeah. um, to have that belief and that faith, um, you know, and that, that sort of knowledge. Yeah. Oh, that's good to hear. So do you believe our loved ones can give us signs? Um Yes, I do. Um, and, and, you know, we've experienced it as a family, whether yeah. people believe it or not. You know, we, we have experienced things. Um, it was very, very strange experience. Um, I haven't experienced anything, strangely. Um, but I think sometimes people get the signs who need the signs. Yeah. Um, so, you know, one day my husband was in the house my mum was a few doors down in her house and they both told me and it happened at more or less the same sort of time my husband smelled a strong smell of terps in the bath bathroom upstairs yeah and my dad was a decorator ah. and one of my childhood smell kind of memories is terps yeah <laughs> because he'd always be getting paint on something and trying to get it off with terps nice. so mark smelt that and then on the same day, my mom smelt my dad's aftershave, and she hadn't been by anything of his. She hadn't been, um, she hadn't picked his aftershave up or sprayed it or anything, and she smelt it in the house. Aww. And it was really strange because they both told me the story, and then we were all in the same room after I went right. You two need to tell each other your stories, yeah. and they were like, "Oh, that's weird." Oh, I love it. But, I love it. You know, um, and my husband has had dream, quite a, quite a lot of dreams. Dreams where particularly his dad's been there, and my dad's been there. And um, the one dream that he had, um, his dad said, "I'm sorry, sorry, lad, we've got to go now. We've we've got to go." And he took my dad with him. So again, oh, I think it. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's beautiful. So they can visit us in our dreams. Yeah. Send us little signs. Yeah. Just to prove that this is, you know, death is not the end. There is something afterwards. And actually, I've got a musical one that I'd forgotten about, but this one is even probably weirder in okay, a way. I like weird. Um, <laughs> and it's musical, which is great. Yeah. We, um, for Dad's, at Dad's funeral, we had a collection and we collected Fraction Heart um, at Russell's Hall Hospital, um, who's like the cardiac rehab service, yeah. um, where Dad would have been expecting to go in after his surgery, had had things not taken a turn um so we mom and i felt strongly that we wanted to go and give the check to them personally um so we did we made an appointment went and we walked in um and where it is it's a gym there's a gym um and they got some music on in the background and the woman sent us away to take a seat and we sat down and on the on the right on the sound system um the traveling wilburys came on the end of the line oh. and that song um is really important like it's a my yeah. dad was really into the traveling wilburys and he used to play the tape over and over in the in the car he used to yeah. drive me crackers as a kid but then i really liked them as i got older because yeah. you know when you're a kid you can't like what your dad likes can you because it's not cool <laughs> um you know and the the line that's repeated over and over in this song is it's all right yeah and it 
mom and I just looked at each other and we were just like, yeah, it really is playing. This is really strange. Yeah. And it's one of those songs you don't hear it very often. It's, it's you know, it's yeah. not like, you know, it's not like it's the Beatles or something, you know, something really common that you hear all the time. I don't think I've ever heard that song played in a public place quite like that. It was really strange. So the timing was incredible. Yeah, so impeccable. Absolutely. <laughs> I'm not, I don't believe in coincidences. These synchronicities <laughs> are signs, yeah. definitely. Dad was there, so he's aware. And oh. he was telling us it's all all right. It's yeah, fine. Yeah, yeah. Oh, well, that's lovely. Well, my last question, Becky, is if you could give your dad a message, what would you say? Um... I would just tell him that we're okay, we miss him, um, you know, and that I'll see him again. Beautiful. And on that note, we shall finish. <laughs> Thank you so much, Becky. I highly recommend my listeners check out your blog, Bereavement and Beyond. And I'll put all the links in the show notes, including Cruise Bereavement blue cross pets bereavement and of course the song it's all right by the traveling wilburys thank you so much becky you've been awesome thank you thank you for listening to this episode of a gift for grief please feel free to share it with your friends and family and let's encourage others to become more grief literate if you're struggling with your grief or worried about your mental health, please do speak to your doctor. If you would like to join me on my social media groups, check out the show notes for all the links. And I look forward to connecting with you next time. The music on this podcast was written and recorded by Matthew Bates and can be found on his two albums, Fight Back and Kaleidoscope.